You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his Welcome back to Cross Section. I'm Kevin Jensen. Glad you're here with us again for another episode of the In Between, where we're looking at what the Bible says about that in between realm between us and and God, that spiritual realm where there are angels, demons, the devil, heavenly and dark powers, and the spirits of the dead between death and resurrection. And that comes up in our uh, lesson today as we're looking at uh, section 4C, more about angels and the realm of the dead from the time of David. We're going to look at some passages of scripture primarily from the time of David and then expanding from there Uh, studying what is said about uh, angels, how they uh, exalt and praise and worship God. Uh, Also, some hints of how uh, ancient Israelites and the people around them used to think about angels. Uh, And then also, uh, the theme, not much goes on in the realm of the dead. Or does it? And so we look at what do some of the Psalms and, and the book of Ecclesiastes, a little bit from the prophet Isaiah, say about what happens in the realm of the dead and how does that compare with what we've already studied and some things that we'll study uh, later on, especially as we get into the New Testament down the road a bit. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning senior adults and friends uh, Bible class currently meeting on Zoom. Glad that you can be a part of it. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's jump into the lesson. All right, so today we are continuing in section four, uh, which is from the time of uh, the United Kingdom of Israel uh, under Saul, who we've finished with at this point, and David and his son Solomon. Uh, and we are uh, in the worksheet on page two, right at the top, where uh, we have First Samuel 29. And we're going to be looking at similarity to angels used to describe character or power. This is a, just a little subtopic in our study, that I, something I hadn't noticed before. Uh, and so when I was uh, preparing for these lessons, um, organizing um, the information I was finding about angels in the scriptures, uh, I noticed this little theme. It's just kind of interesting. gives a little insight um, into how Israel understood Uh, angels and what they thought of angels, what they thought an encounter with an angel might be like. Uh, And let's start with this this chapter, 1 Samuel 29, from the the time of David, before he becomes king. Saul is still king at this point. And David has had to flee to the Philistines for protection. Strangely, he uh, flees to the enemies of Israel uh, to get protection from the king of Israel, from King Saul. Uh, he won't stay there real long, but he does stay there a little while, tries to win the trust of the Philistine king, and does achieve that goal. Um, but then when the Philistines and the Israelites come into conflict, this one last battle of Saul's time, uh, then that um, has ramifications for David's relationship with the Philistine king. Let's take a look at this, this full chapter. It's real short, um, and it's really just verse 9 that I'm aiming for. So watch for verse 9. But the rest of it sets it up. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, 
what about these Hebrews? So they're asking, we're not sure we want Israelites, Hebrews, marching with us into battle against other Israelites. They might turn on us. So they're uncertain about this. All right. Uh, still in verse three, Achish replied, is this not David, who is an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year. And from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no faults in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, send the men back, send the man back so that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the, the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. But uh, from the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And here we come to verse 9. Akish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Okay, just a little snippet from the life of David, a critical moment for him. As, uh, you know, he might have gone into battle with the Philistines against Saul, or, or maybe he would have turned against the Philistines. Maybe the Philistine commanders were right. We, we'll never know because David didn't get to go. Uh, but this, this little line uh, that Achish speaks in verse 9 tells us a little something about how he, at least, thought of angels. Uh, he said to David, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God which is a really interesting thing to say. Um, how pleasing is an angel of God uh, to look at? Um, you know, it makes you, makes you think Akish, Akish must have thought an angel is a, a pretty good person to have around, um, pretty good person to see in your, your presence. Um, I often think of angels as frightening, right? Uh, because they're always saying, do not be afraid, and the people are afraid. Uh, but uh, they're also um, excellent have near you. And that's how Akish feels about David. But the other Philistine commanders don't agree. Okay, so there's a there's a recurring theme that I want to pick up on here. Uh, and uh, you see it in your uh, worksheet, and we'll have it here on the screen in just a second as well. Let's look at this recurring theme. Similarity to angels used to describe character or power. Uh, and so we just looked at 1 Samuel 29, 9, where Akish says to David, you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. There's some other lines like that in Scripture, too. Uh, also, 2 Samuel 14, verse 17. Uh, there's a wise woman who speaks with David in that passage, and uh, she uses this angel of God language to describe him twice. So first in 14, 17, she says, for my Lord, the kings, meaning David, is like an angel of God in discerning good from evil. So apparently uh, she thinks, Israel thinks, that angels, God's angels, can discern good and evil very effectively. 
Uh, she also says in 2 Samuel 14, verse 20, my Lord has wisdom like that of an angel of God. He knows everything that happens in the land. Uh, and so uh, she believes, David believes too, probably. Israel believes maybe that uh, angels are wise or can be wise and that they can see everything that happens in the land. Uh, they, uh, they understand, you know, uh, more than people do. They see more. They observe more than people do. Second uh, Samuel 19, verse 27. Uh, this is Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, saying to David, My lord, the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. Uh, so there uh, he's thinking of the power of an angel. The king is like an angel in terms of his power. He can do whatever he thinks he should do, uh, just like an angel might. And then uh, one more passage here, Zechariah 12, verse 8. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. Uh, so Zechariah is predicting God is going to make Israel strong again. And when that happens, the weakest will be like King David in all his strength. And the, the uh, throne of, of David, the king on the throne and his household, they'll be like, like God or like the angel of the Lord, just very powerful, uh, going before the Israelites, protecting them, caring for them, that sort of thing. So we get this, this language, and these are, these are the main examples here uh, that I was able to find in Scripture. We get this language of uh, people being compared with angels in order to describe what that person is like. Uh, but then it also has the effect for our sake of letting us know how they thought of angels. That angels are very pleasing. They're good to have around, good to have on your side. Uh, very knowledgeable, can discern good and evil. They know everything that's happening in the land. Uh, they um, are, are powerful to do whatever they feel like they need to do, perhaps. And if you have one going before you, you are protected and you are made strong. So uh, it's a little bit like... Uh, Oh, if, um, you know, I'm going to use this example, but I have no experience in it yet. Um, and if, if it's going to be a while before I do, that's just fine with me. Uh, you see your grandchild. Uh, your grandchild comes up to see you and you say, oh, there's my, there's my little angel, right? Um, or some such thing. And we, so we use this language a little bit sometimes, too, comparing people to angels. Oh, he's such an angel. Uh, what do we mean by that? Right? And what does that say about how we think of angels? Do we think angels are, you know, small and cute? Well, no, I don't think so. I think they're beautiful, you know, precious, and a joy to have around, something like that. So, uh, all right. What do you think of this uh, this little recurring theme? Similarity to angels used to describe character or power. Any thoughts on this before we go on to the next one? I I use it uh, meaning. They're sweet, kind, and gentle, and wonderful to be around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Kevin? Sweet, kind, and gentle, wonderful to be around. Oh, go ahead, Zay. Sorry. Isn't there somewhere that talks about not to upset your guardian angel? <coughs> or is that um. a grandma's? <laughs> I think that is a grandma's tale, but there there are a couple of 
mild parallels in scripture, I guess you might say. Uh, one that comes uh, to mind is when the New Testament says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, right? So make sure, make sure you stand on the, the Holy Spirit's good side, uh, which is staying on God's good side and not frustrating him. Um, but there is, uh, there is a passage in, um, in the Pentateuch about the, uh, and we, we looked at it a few weeks ago, about uh, God's angel, the angel of the Lord, going with uh, Israel and says, uh, do not disobey him, you know, make sure you obey him because he will not forgive your rebellion and sin. Um, you know, so stay on his good side. I don't think we have anything like that about a guardian angel because scripture doesn't speak specifically of guardian angels, although it hints at them. Well, I was just wondering if that's why people had the thought of being afraid of angels is because where they were upsetting the guardian angel. <laughs> <laughs> if we have guardian angels, I want mine to be very happy with me, <laughs> for sure. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting for us as we look at more appearances of angels uh, here in the next few weeks to uh, watch why people are scared of angels when they appear. Because they fairly often are, maybe not every time, but fairly often when the angel first appears, they're afraid. Um, why would they be afraid of an angel? Uh, I think a couple of reasons. We in our culture, just just in just culturally, you know, when we see pictures of angels or we think of angels, we don't always remember how powerful they are. And when an angel of God appears to a person just suddenly out of nowhere, um, or the angel does something miraculous, you know, that's a scary thing because all of a sudden you're in a power you don't know how to deal with that is way beyond your control, uh, and you are completely at this person's mercy. Um, like the way I feel, you know, when I get pulled over by a police officer, which hasn't happened in a couple decades, <laughs> thank God, <laughs> uh, and I can, I'd be glad to keep it that way. Um, that, that's scary because the police officer has all the power, right? Uh, all, all the authority, of course, there are limitations on their authority too, but I mean, they have, they have the authority. Well, an angel, even more so because an angel comes from, uh, from God, you know, any other Questions or thoughts? Yeah, Mary Jo. Well, add to the idea of power, I think of perfection and purity. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit more, more about that. Well, I don't I think people are maybe they're afraid of them because they, they realize that they're so much better than they are. Yeah. And that they have and somehow that there is a connection with God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that holiness that uh, okay, holiness. angels have uh, being in the presence of God. Yeah, perfection and purity, holiness. Um, it's got to be very striking. Yeah, intimidating, maybe. Uh, it, it might not be as bad as standing in the presence of Jesus, the immediate presence of Jesus, yeah. but it's got to be along those lines, you know. It's something they don't under we don't understand. Mm -hmm. Something we and, don't understand. Usually we're afraid of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. And usually afraid of it. Yeah. And that's probably appropriate. It's probably appropriate for us to have some fear in the presence of uh, that kind of power and holiness. Um, just like we should, you know, have that respectful, reverent fear in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. And in the presence of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God. Um, but then there's a familiarity with the Holy Spirit, too, because he's constantly you know, present in our lives. Yeah. Other thoughts? 
Okay, uh, Richard, go ahead. Matthew 18 and 10, talking about children. Mm -hmm. He says, oh, not, the idea is don't look down on them, don't cause them trouble, because they're angels in heaven. They're angels. <laughs> That's right. Heaven, That's right. Always see the face of the Father in heaven. Yes. Yes, that is the strongest teaching in scripture, uh, suggesting that there are guardian angels, at least for children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so be good to children because their angels see the face of God in heaven. Yeah, yep, they have direct access to God and you want to stay on God's good side. So be good to the kids. Yeah. Don't spoil them though. Don't spoil them. Just, uh, just love them, love them well. Did I miss somebody else? No. Okay. All right. Let's go on to uh, let's go on to the next uh, recurring theme. We've got three recurring themes back to back here, and uh, none of them will take us too long. All of them uh, bring us a little uh, insight into the um, the in between realm. So uh, this one, <laughs> we can almost skip over this. We just take this one for granted. But um, Scripture mentions it, and it's good for us to stop and think about it and uh, take it seriously. Angels praise and exalt God. So Psalm 29, verse 1, just this one line. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. First time that... Uh, Angelic beings, heavenly beings, worshiping God is mentioned in Scripture uh, as we go through chronologically. Uh, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. So declare the Lord's glory and strength. So this is a, a fairly common recurring theme in the Psalms and a couple other places in Scripture, especially Revelation. Uh, so Psalm 29.1, and then also Psalm 89, verses 5 to 7. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Okay, so... Uh, the uh, heavens themselves praise God in the assembly of the holy ones. Um, and in the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. Um, so this is an interesting little passage because, uh, for one thing, it says the holy ones, these angelic beings, they honor God, they fear God, and they recognize his awesomeness uh, relative to their own. His is much, much greater. Uh, and so they worship him. Uh, but also this idea that there is an assembly of the holy ones, that there are lots of angelic beings, that there's a council of the holy ones. Uh, this idea of an assembly or a council comes from the way ancient kings used to rule their people. And, and really still any leader still does today, even a dictator has to do this in order to maintain control. Uh, they will have uh, a council of advisors, a council of high officials, uh, council of people they trust uh, around them. So an ancient king might have uh, nobles that he kept around himself. You may remember Moses had um, had Aaron, the priest, the high priest, 
uh, had Joshua, kind of Moses' second in command, as it turned out, also had 70 elders who worked with him, appointed by God uh, to, uh, to help Moses administer the people, also had the heads of the 12 tribes who are involved sometimes in, in leading the people. Uh, an ancient king would have a, a council or assembly that he works with and that he communicates with uh, in order to decide what the nation needs and to make sure that it gets done uh, and to distribute authority over the nation. Uh, and so that idea transfers over in Scripture to um, uh, Scripture's understanding of what it might be like to be in the presence of God at his heavenly throne. Uh, and there's this idea in Scripture that God has a council also that he confers with sometimes and that honors him and recognizes his greatness. And that's the language that we see here, the assembly of the holy ones, uh, the council of the holy ones. But even there, even among God's uh, highest angels, God is greatly feared and he is above and beyond them all. And so uh, if we were ever to encounter an angel ourselves, uh, as awesome as that would be, you know, as striking as their holiness, their purity would be, like, like Mary Jo was talking about, uh, God is even greater. And so this, um, these lines from Psalm 89 serve to just heighten, just exalt God all the more, glorify him all the more, because his glory is so great uh, compared even to the angels. And so the angels in heaven fear God and worship him. So we see more of this language. Um, Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21. Praise the Lord, you his angels. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. Right? So we get this call for angels themselves and God's heavenly host. And by, by the way, hosts uh, in the Old Testament means armies, basically. It's like his, his massive heavenly army, um, hosts of angelic warriors, you might say. Uh, they all praise God. Psalm 148 and verse 2. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Same kind of language as in Psalm 103. Darlene? Darlene, I, I see you have keep up. saying this, and this all sounds beautiful. Oh, oh can you hear me now, hon? I, I can. You're fine. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, it's, it's all the angels, he's worshipped all of his heavenly hosts, but there was a time when the war in heaven, when Satan and a third of his angels created a great dissension up in heaven. And with all the angels seeing what God did to them by casting them out and casting them down below, I imagine the fear would still be in them because they would always remember what happened to those that disobey him, that did try to take over. So when we talk about angels, I know there are good angels and bad angels, as you pointed out in one of your lessons. Mm -hmm. But I think in this, whenever we say, praise the Lord, even all the heavenly hosts fear him. Well, yes, I would too. <laughs> but he's a God of love still, yeah. you know. Yes, yes. And I would think he's a God of love toward angels as well as toward human beings, because that's just his character. Yeah. Uh, but you're exactly right, Darlene, um, thinking of Revelation 12, where <coughs> Satan and his angels battle against Michael, the archangel, and his angels, uh, and Satan is cast out of heaven and his yeah. angels with him. And, um, and then we have uh, some passages we'll look at uh, later um, down the road a bit in the New Testament uh, about angels who fell from their proper positions um, or who abandoned their home. 
uh, yeah, they have reason to fear God because God is their God too, just like he's ours. And he has full authority over them. Yes. Yes. Uh, we also have something in common with angels, as we find out from these Psalms. As the angels are called to praise God and to fear God, so also we are called to praise God and fear God, as we see in Scripture uh, pretty often. And so uh, we are, um, uh, you know, connected to angels in that way. We have something in common in terms of our relationship uh, to God and how uh, both they and we praise God together. And one of the most beautiful things in uh, the book of Revelation is this uh, uh, picture of uh, human beings and angels, angelic beings, also praising and worshiping God together uh, in heaven. Um, before the resurrection, if you're talking about uh, the spirits of, of uh, believers um, and a- after the resurrection uh, as well in eternal life, there's a sense that the same thing will happen there. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 6, we've got a passage from the New Testament here. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And so this is talking about Jesus, God's firstborn. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So the angels worship Jesus also, not only God the Father, but also Jesus, uh, his son, God's firstborn. Uh, and that, of course, comes in Hebrews chapter 1, which is all about how Jesus is superior even to the angels. As great as the angels are, Jesus is higher. Uh, and so we'll, we'll take a look at that when we get to, uh, into the New Testament here uh, down the road a bit. Uh, and then in the book of Revelation, I didn't put these in your uh, worksheet, but let me, uh, let me give you some examples here. Uh, in Revelation, we read a lot about angels honoring and worshiping God, declaring his praises. So, for example, uh, the four living creatures worship God in Revelation uh, 4, 5, and 19. Uh, the 24 elders who surround God's throne, they're kind of that heavenly council. They worship God and praise him in chapters 4, 5, 11, and 19. Uh, in chapter 5, there's a lot of worship of God that goes on in heaven in chapter 5. In chapter 5, uh, thousands upon thousands of angels worship God. And then in chapter 5 also, every creature in heaven, which I assume has to include angels, they worship God. Uh, in chapter 7, all the angels worship God and, and praise him. In chapter 11, loud voices in heaven. I don't know who that is. Might include angels. I would think it probably does. They uh, praise God in chapter 11. Uh, and then in Revelation 16, the angel in charge of the waters, uh, he specifically praises God and, and honors him uh, with his words also. So uh, this recurring theme comes up a bit in the Psalms, a little bit in Hebrews, a lot in Revelation, that angels worship God. Okay, we knew that. Um, we could easily take that for granted, but it does make us stop and think, like Darlene said, Angels do have to fear God, just like we do. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, it makes us think also we have something in common with the angels, that uh, they praise God, we praise God. Uh, we are at a similar level to them in that sense, uh, in terms of our relationship to God. Uh, and then also just the, uh, the excellence of God. This reminds us of how um, exalted our God is, that the angels in heaven uh, also diligently worship him. You know, in Revelation, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, it sounds like they're constantly uh, worshiping God at his throne. So beautiful, beautiful thing. Any thoughts on that before we move on to the next one? 
Have you ever had the chance to sing with a, with a you know, group in the church, maybe at a, a time of singing or at a retreat or at a, a workshop or just in worship, um, and just got the feeling that the angels were singing along with you? <laughs> you know, I and I don't I don't know if that feeling is just you know a tingling in the spine uh, just from the good good singing here on earth or if it's really it really is angels singing along with us but you got to wonder if, if when the church worships god together and we sing uh to the lord um you have to wonder if if maybe the angels at least hum along you know do they sing to god too at the same time um you know i don't know but i i imagine maybe they do i imagine maybe they do and i look forward to the time when we'll be able to hear them uh sing along with us, we'll be able to join in their songs uh, and sing to God, or maybe they'll join in ours or some of both. And that's going to be a beautiful thing. Let's go on to our next uh, recurring theme here. Now, this one, we're changing gears here, and we're looking at uh, the realm of the, the dead between uh, death and resurrection. <coughs> And this recurring theme I'm calling Not Much Goes On in the Realm of the Dead. Okay, and, and we're going to have to talk about this one a little bit and see what we think of it. So let's start with Psalm 6, verses 4 and 5, one of David's psalms. David says, Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? You notice we're looking at a lot of psalms today as we're in the time of David. I'm, I'm uh, picking from his psalms, uh, things that he says about angels, or in this case, about uh, the realm of the dead, what goes on uh, in the grave from, uh, from a human perspective. So he says here, among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? All right. What do you think of that? It's almost like he's saying that the dead do not hear or speak, that they do sleep. Yeah, that's it's, that's what it's given it to me right there. Mm, that's but, what it um, sounds like. Yeah, that's yeah. what it sounds like, isn't it? That the dead sleep, but but don't uh, they don't really hear from God? That certainly don't you know proclaim God's praises in the grave. Yeah. Okay, let's hold on to that one for a second. Let's uh, let's go look at a few other passages too, and uh, and then we'll reflect on them after we've looked at uh, several. So this is our recurring theme here. Not much goes on in the realm of the dead. This keeps coming up in Psalms and Ecclesiastes, so writings uh, by David and by uh, Solomon. We'll see one from Isaiah here in just a minute, too. So Psalm 6, verse 5, we just looked at. And then Psalm 88, verses 10 to 12. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Um, and in the context of that psalm, the answer is clearly no. Uh, these things don't, don't happen. God doesn't show his wonders to the dead. Uh, the dead, the, their spirits don't rise up and praise God. God's love is not declared to them in the grave. Uh, his faithfulness is not declared in destruction, another name for the realm of the dead uh, in this case, or the grave. Um, God's wonders are not known in the place of darkness, another way of describing uh, the realm of the dead. Uh, his righteous deeds are not known in the land of oblivion, where everything is, you know, um, obliviated, 
where everything is forgotten and unknown. Uh, God's righteous deeds are not known there. Okay, so just hold on to this for a second. We'll we'll uh, come back and, and talk about it a bit. But this this is what uh, the writer is, you know, perceiving about what it's like to be uh, dead. God's wonders are not declared there. His love, um, his righteous deeds, just uh, just not really known there. Okay, I'm going to question some of this in a minute, but but let's uh, let's hold on to it. Let's look at a couple other passages too. Psalm 115, verse 17. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. Okay, just that one little line. Uh, in, uh, in these psalms, usually when they're talking about how God is not praised in the realm of the dead, they're calling live human beings to praise God. Hey, praise God now while you're alive, while you can, because once you die, you don't have that opportunity anymore. So make sure you do it now. All right. Um, Ecclesiastes has a little bit to say about this. Ecclesiastes, we think, was uh, written by Solomon, David's son. So Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. So from Solomon's wow. perspective here, the dead really don't know anything. You know, like, like you said, Darlene, they're just maybe asleep or something. Yeah. But he's putting forth a principle. He is not putting forth the truth. Uh, okay, hold that thought, Richard. I want to come back to that. So I'll come back to you in just a second, all right? Let me take a, take a look at two other passages, and we'll come back to that. It's putting forth a principle, not necessarily the truth. Okay, let's come back to that in just a minute. Uh, also in Ecclesiastes 9, now in verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going... There is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So what Solomon's saying here is in light of our mortality, right? Just got to accept that we're mortal. We didn't decide to be mortal, but that's how we were uh, brought into this world. Uh, in light of mortality, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Do it now, because once you die, you can't do it anymore. Where you're going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Let's look at one more passage, uh, Isaiah 38, verses 18 and 19. Speaking to God, Isaiah says, For the grave cannot praise you, death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you. Right. So um, it's not those who die who go down to the pit, or your Bible might say down to Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. That's the Hebrew word for uh, the realm of the dead basically, and sometimes it's translated grave or pit. Uh, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. Um, so there's, there's just not much going on in the realm of the dead. Okay, so let's, let's talk about how we ought to think about these passages and what they're saying, what they're not saying. And Richard, let's start with you. Can you explain what you said a, a minute ago about Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, Solomon's uh, communicating a principle, but not the truth. What do you mean by that? And maybe I needed to, what he, what he is saying is the truth from a certain perspective. Okay. Uh, if you die, it's over as far as your ability to praise God to his glory. No, in heaven, we're going to do that. But, but the idea is, well, I think whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. This is the time you have to prepare yourself. This is the time 
you have to praise God so that after death, uh, your, your reward will be great. Uh, yeah, okay. As a tree falls, so shall it lie. Mm -hmm. At death, our future is determined. Yes. Okay, so do what you need to do now. Don't wait till later because then it's going to be too late, is what Solomon's saying. And those Psalms are as well when they talk about, hey, you can't praise the Lord you know, from the grave. Uh, do it now while you can. Uh, what else? Kevin? Sherry, Sherry, did you have a thought? I did. Okay. Um, when you look at the New Testament, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man can't go back from the dead and change anything. Mm -hmm. And Lazarus can't either. So once, once they're dead, you can't go back and change things. Mm -hmm. You have to just mm -hmm. realize this is it. Mm -hmm. That's why it says, do it now while we can. Okay. All right. So bringing a little New Testament perspective in on this, that's hopeful. Um, you notice none of these passages that I, I found on this recurring theme come from the New Testament. That doesn't mean they're wrong, right? God's truth is in the Old Testament too. Um, but it does mean that um, we need to bring the New Testament in to inform how we think about these passages because they didn't have all the information that we have now through the teaching of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, through the writings of Paul uh, and other New Testament writers. Uh, so there's there's more to be said than just what we've looked at here. And we're going to get into some of that uh, some more later. Uh, Zay? So there's nothing. These people have no wisdom, no knowledge. They're dead. There's nothing. So why do these psychics and these mediums think that they can call them back and, and gain anything? Uh, good question. Yeah, why would, a, why would a psychic or a medium think they can communicate with the dead when uh, scripture clearly says here that there's not much going on down there. There's no wisdom, knowledge, understanding, no proclamation of God, that sort of thing. That's a good question. I, you know, first answer is apparently they're not reading their Bible. Um, and second answer might be, uh, it might be a little more complicated than just what we've looked at right here today. Uh, for example, um, and I, I put this on your worksheet toward the bottom of page two, um, you know, how does this compare to what we studied last week in the story of that medium who did speak with the prophet Samuel? I was going to bring that up. Were you going to bring that up? Say nice. Good. Uh, yeah. You know, what do you think of that? How do we, how do we compare those two? So think on that for a second. Let me go to Earl. Cause I, I see he has a hand up. Uh, Earl, go ahead. Okay. I, I look at, at when you die, you're dead, but if you you died and you was a faithful Christian, the day of his coming, we will be raised up with him and the dead will be dead. Okay. You know, if, if you're not a Christian and haven't lived faithfully, you've got no future to, to, to be with our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm in the coming of times and uh, so you know uh everything's going to be silent until christ returns and we, and we go up with him mm. all right does that make sense okay so so you're saying uh everything is everything is silent 
in in the realm of the dead everything's pretty much silent until jesus comes again and then that all changes and yeah. the the dead in christ will rise and rejoice and be with god forever but those who are outside of christ uh, have no hope at that point Is, am, am i summarizing what you said yes, pretty well? correct. okay correct. yeah yeah and i think that's that's a good way of looking at it as we kind of put on our our new testament glasses you know uh for reading the old testament here uh, we know there's more to the story than what's mentioned here. Yeah. Um, I might add a couple things just briefly. One is uh, the dead and all the dead rise, um, according to Daniel chapter 12, the wicked and the righteous, but the wicked rise for judgment, uh, where the righteous rise for glorification. Um, and that's Daniel echoed in the New Testament a little bit too. But Daniel 12 is the, is, is kind of the, is the first time that that's taught. Um and uh, let's see, I had another thought, but I lost it. That's okay. Maybe it'll come back later. Um, I think but I Karen, saw somebody else in the hand up. Yeah, Darlene. Yeah. Tell me at the cross, Jesus' resurrection is born. Then the dead is, isn't it? We always said that whenever they got to the cross, they remained dead. There was no chance. Jesus came for the resurrection that all sins be forgiven and that we had a chance to get to heaven. Maybe that's what the Old Testament is teaching and they didn't about Christ coming at the resurrection. There will be a resurrection of the dead only on after Christ comes or not. I know there's a couple in the Old Testament that does live on, that they came back and God took care of them. But the dead stayed silent until at the, at the foot of the cross. There's a song we sing about it even. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, hon? Things definitely change at the cross, right? Um, with the, really at the empty tomb. With the resurrection of Jesus, things really change. And uh, all of a sudden, we have uh, a clearer understanding of how powerful God is over death, that he has complete control, even over death itself, that he can raise from the dead anybody he wants to, and they don't die again, right? Jesus, uh, after he's raised from the dead, he doesn't die again. He's taken up into heaven to be with God at the end of the book of Luke and, and then in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And it's mentioned uh, here and there in, in the New Testament, too. Uh, and so... Uh, God uh, has taught us that we also, if we follow Jesus, will have a resurrection like that of Jesus. In fact, uh, Paul ties that to our baptism in Romans 6, that if we have uh, died with Christ in baptism, we will be raised with Christ uh, at his resurrection. Our, our baptism, you know, the dying and rising in our baptism is a uh, kind of a foreshadowing of the greater uh, rising that is to come. Yeah, yeah. There are prophecies of the great resurrection of the dead in um, in the Old Testament. There's uh, one in Isaiah. Uh, it's pretty uh, uh, pretty famous. Uh, Isaiah 65, off the top of my head. I have to check, make sure that's right. And then uh, Daniel chapter 12, also kind of the two big ones. Some smaller ones um, hinted at in uh, the Psalms. Um, yeah, so there are a few prophecies there. Uh, but other than a couple of people that Elijah and Elisha raised back yeah. to life, uh, one other after Elisha's time raised back to life, we'll look at his story down the road a bit. Uh, other than that, there, there's no resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament um, that we right. see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did somebody else have a, have a thought a second ago? I do. Okay, go ahead, Monica. Uh, for one thing, this person is speaking from an earthly perspective. And where it says that there is no further reward and their name is forgotten, those things are not true. There is a reward and the name is not forgotten. Mm. So mm. if we can separate our thinking from earthly thinking and spiritual thinking, 
Yes. Yes. I think that's the key to, to this recurring theme. Uh, not much goes on in the realm of the dead. If you look at it from an earthly perspective. So, um, you know, we're dealing with uh, two, two dynamics here. One is they just didn't know yet what we know. Uh, they didn't know what goes on after this life. And so they could only speak about this life itself uh, until you get to the prophets. And then you start getting a little more information. Some of the Psalms too, because David also was a prophet, um, but he didn't understand everything, only what God had revealed to him so far. And we understand so much more. Now we have glimpses of what it's like in the heavenly realm around the throne of God in the book of Revelation. And we have a little hints of that sort of thing too in, in uh, Jesus' teachings and in the teachings of Paul. You know, Paul has a vision of the third heaven and sees things, hears things that a man is not permitted to repeat. Um, so we get little glimpses like that later on, but they didn't have this yet. Also, uh, another part of what's going on here, and Monica is exactly right about this, in the book of Ecclesiastes in particular, Ecclesiastes, the whole book almost, is written from the perspective of what is the point of life without God. So if you take God out of the picture, if all you're living for is life on this earth, what's the point? And he comes out at the end, he says, actually from the beginning, he says, it's all meaningless. It's all, you know, vapor or futility. Uh, however you try to translate that really tough word in the Hebrew language that he uses repeatedly in Ecclesiastes, it, it all kind of blows away when you die because everybody dies and then there's nothing more after that. So whatever your hand finds to do, looking at chapter 9, verse 10 again, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might because in the realm of the dead where you're going, you don't get to anymore. It's, it's just not there. From an earthly perspective, from a heavenly perspective, uh, you know, New Testament perspective, as we get a lot more information through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the writings of the apostles, we see that there is stuff that goes on in the realm of the dead. You know, uh, somebody mentioned a minute ago, Jesus parable about uh, Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, Sherry mentioned that. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, he, Jesus has the rich man and, Laz uh, and Abraham having a conversation. I don't know if that's possible or not, but maybe it is. Jesus brings up the possibility, at least. Paul says when he dies, he will go to be with the Lord. I believe that's Philippians chapter one. Uh, and so if you're going to be with the Lord when you die, there's something that goes on in the realm of the dead. Now, from the perspective of a person still alive on the earth, not much goes on in the realm of the dead because we can't see it, right? But, but from a New Testament perspective, uh, a, 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 another spiritual perspective, uh, a lot goes on in the realm of the dead, perhaps. Maybe there is stuff that goes on. And we even have a hint that stuff goes on in the realm of the dead uh, in the story we looked at last week. So let me go back to that since uh, Zay uh, brought that up. Uh, in our story last week, the medium communicates uh, with the prophet Samuel, who then is able to talk with King Saul. And remember some of the things that Samuel said. First, he said, why are you disturbing me? Which makes you think, well, wait a second. If not much goes on in the realm of the dead, he might prefer to be disturbed, have an opportunity to do something again. Uh, but then he gives prophecy, too. And so he knows what's going on on earth. He's aware of it. Either, either all the dead know or God has given him special information so that he can know. Uh, or the information Saul has given him gives him 
enough understanding to be able to say what's going to happen. But then he can also tell the future. He, he knows what God is planning to do to Saul and his sons and to the army of Israel. They're going to lose to the Philistines. Saul and his sons will be killed the next day. Uh, and he says, you and your sons will be with me uh, by, you know, tomorrow. And it turns out that way. And so something's going on there. We don't have much information about what it is, but something's going on there. And surely David knew about that when he wrote in some of his Psalms, you know, that you can't, you don't praise God from the grave. Well, he, he knew the story of Samuel. So he knows there's something more going on there. But his point is, uh, once, once you die, you don't get to continue, you know, praising God in this life. So as far as this life is concerned, you know, do what you can now. Uh, don't miss your opportunity. So that's how I would take this recurring theme. Not much goes on in the realm of the dead. I would say, yes, true. But <laughs> maybe there is more that goes on in the realm of the dead than what uh, the writers of these Psalms and the writer of Ecclesiastes uh, knew about. Because we have hints of that in um, the story of Saul and the medium and then in teaching from the New Testament also. Where does Sobel agree with you? Mm -hmm. I got a question. Yeah, Earl. Your, when you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, your soul is buried with you. Now, the day of the coming of the Lord, does your soul rise back up to be with your spirit? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, Ecclesiastes, we'll look at some pas a passage next week that kind of asks about that a little bit. Um, will we get to that next week? I'm not seeing it where I thought it would see. It. No, it's, pro it's probably going to be in a couple of weeks. Um, so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll look at it a little bit from Ecclesiastes later that kind of delves into that question but doesn't answer it. Um, I would say, first of all, that in Scripture, uh, there really isn't a difference between soul and spirit. Soul is uh, a term that's used to encompass the whole human being a little bit more than spirit does, where spirit focuses more on the spiritual part of us. Um, but really, there's, uh, there's not much difference between the two. Some uh, really good um, biblical scholars have done some careful studies of how the words spirit and soul and mind are used in Scripture. And uh, they've, uh, the conclusion they've come to is you can't, really, you can't really define a separation between the two. So I don't think I would say that your spirit goes to God, but your soul is buried with the body. Um, it seems uh, more accurate to me from a New Testament perspective to say that the physical part of us is buried, but the spiritual part goes to be with God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, that's how I would look at it. Um, I can't think of any passage in Scripture that would, that would um, say that the soul... Uh, stays in the ground, you know, with the decomposing body. Um, we do have these passages we just looked at, you know, that talk about the spirit going down to the grave, that sort of thing. But they're just saying it goes into the realm of the dead. And they, of course, didn't know where that was. They think of it as underground because that's where you put the body when it dies. Um, yeah. But we'll look at some more of that, some more about that uh, down the road a bit. Richard? One of the keys here to <coughs> what? Earl said is in Revelations, the sixth chapter. Mm. Is it literal? 
it says the souls of the saints are with God mm. underneath the altar. Yes. I would rather go and be with Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, it's a very interesting story. You know, Christ, Christ in one of his sayings says, don't fear the man that can kill you. Fear the one that can cast both body and soul into hell. That's not into death. That's into punishment. There is a difference between the body and the soul. Good. That's, that's helpful, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, Revelation 6. That's a, that's a really good example. The souls under the altar are there in the presence of God and cry out to God and he hears them and he responds to them. And then he gives them white robes, which makes you think, okay, wait a second. How do, how can souls wear robes? Right. <laughs> but, but we're dealing with, uh, you know, some symbolic language here and, and uh, weird things can happen in the vision. The book of revelation is, is, is written from a vision that John had. So we, we shouldn't take it too literally. Uh, but, uh, but there is communication there between uh, the souls of the saints and, and God. Yeah. Other thoughts or, or questions or insights? So, so when you die, your spirits rise. Now, will our soul be uh, brought forth when, when Christ comes again? Is our soul that will be judged at that time? Okay, so when Christ comes again, um, that's when the dead are raised, right? And uh, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the, uh, the physical part of us is raised as well. And so the body, the soul, uh, or the spirit, whichever you want to call it, the, the spiritual part of us and the physical part of us is how I would think of it. Both come back together at the resurrection. And I think if I'm understanding Paul and Daniel properly, so this is 1 Corinthians 15, which really just focuses on believers, but also Daniel 12, which focuses on unbelievers and believers, the faithful and the unfaithful. Um, if I'm understanding those two passages and their relationship to each other right, I, as I understand it, when Jesus comes again, all the dead are raised, all are resurrected, but uh, only the righteous go on living in the presence of God, and the unrighteous then are consigned to punishment. Um, so, uh, yeah, Earl, I would say, yeah, soul, spirit, body, the whole package comes back together at the resurrection. And this is where I, um, I find, um, the eschatology to bring up that, that word again, um, our teaching about the end times, uh, to have been a little bit lacking in what I was taught when I was growing up. And hopefully it wasn't that way for you, but, uh, I was, just taught that the spirit is raised and goes on living forever in the presence of God uh, in eternal life. But um, Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 2 Corinthians 5 that uh, we get a permanent body, that we God created us to be physical and spiritual at the same time, and he's going to recreate us in the same way. Um, Paul's pretty clear about that, especially in 2 Corinthians 5, when he says, right now we have a, a tent that we dwell in, you know, a temporary dwelling, but we're going to receive a house, not built with human hands, a spiritual house, something built by, built by God, but a house to dwell in permanently, a permanent dwelling. 
and so um, so we will uh, be physical and spiritual, if I'm understanding correctly, but immortal also. Um, our, our physical dwelling will not die. So and that's how I understand Paul in those, those passages. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. Anybody else? Yeah, Richard has his hand up. Okay. Yeah, Richard, go ahead. In my mind and in my belief, you twice made a statement that I believe is totally true. The body and the soul come back together, mm. are rejoined. Uh, for the Christian, it's going to be in that new body that Paul tried to tell us about, but <laughs> didn't know how to explain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate uh, one of the first verses in First um, John 3, uh, John the Apostle says, uh, we do not know uh, what we will be, but we know that when he comes, uh, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. So um, you think about Jesus. When he died, his body and his soul were separated. Body and spirit were separated. Um body was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The spirit went to paradise because Jesus had said to one of the criminals on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, and then First uh, Peter 3 says that Jesus uh, went and spoke to um, spirits who had been in prison um, since the time of Noah, if I'm um, understanding that line correctly. And that's a hard one to understand. It's a hard one to translate. Uh, Jesus was doing stuff, even when his body was in the, the tomb. But then when he came, uh, when he was resurrected, body and soul, body and spirit came back together and are never separated again because he uh, ascended to be with God. His body disappeared just like, you know, the spiritual part of him left. Uh, and he, uh, he is still entirely human. Uh, he is with God. Um, he is entirely divine also. And uh, Paul says that we will share in a resurrection like that of Jesus. And so when we are raised, uh, we are raised body and soul, body and spirit, just like Jesus was, um, and to remain so uh, forever. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because God created it that way. And everything God creates is good. Uh, and John says in 1 John 3, we don't know what that's going to be like exactly. We don't know what we will be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll have new bodies, uh, new types of, a new type of body, um, like the difference between the seed that's planted and the, and the plant that grows from the seed. Uh, it'll be, you know, that, that different, but in some ways it might be just the same too, because Jesus had a physical human body. But John says, you know, ultimately we don't know what we're going to be, but we know we'll be like Jesus, because when he comes, we will see him as he is. We'll be able to see that we've been made like him. Uh, also, we have the language in, in some of Paul's writings about uh, how Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first type of a new human, the way that Adam was the first type of the kind of human being that we are now. Uh, but what Jesus is, is what, what, he, what Jesus is now, is what we will be like uh, when we're raised from the dead.
which is fascinating stuff and mysterious because we just we just don't have enough information to know exactly what that means. And that's John's point. We we don't know what we will be, but we know we'll be like Jesus. And that's enough for me for now. Okay. Anybody else as we kind of wind down here? Okay. All right. I hope you're enjoying what we're what we're studying. It's it's fascinating, a little confusing in spots, and that's okay. Uh, we, uh, you know, we're just in the middle of the Old Testament right now, and so uh, there's still a um, a bit to learn in the Old Testament, and then we start getting into really exciting stuff in the New Testament. We see more of angels. We see demons. We really don't get into demons hardly in the Old Testament. Satan comes up a couple of times. We saw him in Job. We'll see him again um, in a story of David here pretty soon, uh, possibly next week. But he just doesn't come up a lot directly. We know he's there in the background, but he comes up a lot in the New Testament. We'll learn a lot about him there. Uh, we see uh, Jesus talking about angels. We see angels appearing in the New Testament, uh, even in the book of Acts. Um, and of course, when we get to Revelation, we get a lot of uh, glimpses of what things might be like in the heavenly realms. So we have a lot of exciting stuff uh, to get to yet. Next week, we will pick up uh, in Psalm uh, 8, verses 3 to 5, and the question of uh, how uh, angels relate to human beings uh, in terms of rank or status. Um, and then uh, we'll look at a few other Psalms, um, we'll look at cherubim a little bit, and then we'll get into the story, a uh, very important story of uh, an angel uh, punishing Israel and instructing David, the story of when David took the census uh, of Israel that he ought not to have taken. Uh, so that's where we're headed. And uh, in the meantime, um, may God bless you with a great week and, uh, and a good, uh, good day today. Uh, Richard, would you mind leading us in prayer uh, today? Sure. To close up? Okay. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had with our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to study a portion of your word. We pray that through each study, our minds might be expanded as to what your word says and how we can take it to apply it to our lives and pass it on to others. We ask you to be with all those that need your prayers for whatever reason at this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.